and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. We are in round eight, turn four, and boy, oh boy, do I have a treat. We have the rules lawyer with me. Hey, Alfred, how you doing, sir? I'm excellent. It is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed here in Boston, and... Uh... Yeah, I couldn't be happier to be able to meet up with um, with you today and talk games. Um, what a respite, what a island, what an oasis we have on our hands. And, uh, <laughs> thank you for this. Oh, not at all, not at all. You are, uh, you know, we talked last week and my mm -hmm. wife was on the podcast talking with Jake about the difficulties of teaching and learning in this new environment from the kindergarten side of things. You are a professor on the other side of things. How is this, how is this uh, sea change in the way we do things? Uh, how is that working for you? I mean, I think it's marvelous overall. The students, uh, all college age or college bound in the case of the summer program, uh, they're handling things very well. Um, the the harder part may be the fact that it's mostly music education, right? I mean, like I'm entirely music education and to be able to look these students in the eyes and be like, well, there's no gigs <laughs> and we're not sure when there will be gigs. So like the fundamental parts of the education are, are, are there and you're going to be a better musician. You're going to be a better, hopefully person more, more well-rounded. But to be honest, we don't know where the music will land at the moment. Right. The moment. Right. So that's the hard part is like, there's, you know, there's like the education. Great. And people are doing their, their utmost, but then like, yeah, the outcomes, big question marks. I don't know where the points are, are going to be gained basically if you're gonna put this in gaming terms right like yeah we can play the game but like who knows what the scoring is going to be like at the end <laughs> <laughs> well it's i mean at the minimum you're you're getting a year in the studio right right you can woodshed right that's the phrase that they use oftentimes you can get really honed in you may not have the chance to like practice in front of other existing breathing people but you can uh you you can do that thing out loud and uh, get really good at those long tones. If anyone out there knows what that that means, follow who on your own music education. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that going on right now. So again, game space has been really, really useful, and even recommending it to the kids, like, or to the students, to to kind of really engage and to kind of make things fun and and more multidimensional. You have to get creative. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, I, I think that'll that'll be the real challenge coming out of coming out of this or moving into whatever the new reality is. I think it's going to be a, a time where we're going to have to approach a lot of things that we took for granted uh, from a creative point of view, right? Oh my goodness, so taken for granted. Just you know, like part of life, and not really thinking of it as like a culture that we have to acclimatize and get used to. And there, there will be people who didn't get on on like for instance, in, in my world, my industry, um, people who didn't like who won't have gone to shows in the same way that other people would have when they were 14, 15, et cetera. And they won't be in that culture. And that, that doesn't have just implications for this year. It has implications for the rest of their lives as they don't quite know how to conduct themselves in these kind of social situations, or they don't know quite how to engage with the music in a way that oftentimes you, you were kind of expected when you walk into a symphony hall or a rock concert or a, a rave, you have this organization of yourself in these spaces. And if you don't have that, if you don't, if you're not accessing that, then it may not, may not come to pass. People may only know how to order from Yahoo and uh, Amazon or whatever you want to call it, and um, Yahoo and little else. Yeah. <laughs> what are, What are you doing? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, oh my God. 
that's that's really really interesting. You're right. It, it, there is a a generation that is going to have a little a, a little gap in in their uh, you know in in certain amounts of socialization, right? In certain amounts of uh, the things that we do and the experiences that we have. Now, hopefully, it won't be uh, too long a gap, and so they'll be able to 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 get caught up. But it's definitely going to be there to some extent. Yeah, interesting. But, you know, the same thing's true in board game space, and I feel like people have made leaps and bounds in the past couple of years, going from the abject and arbitrary tiddlywinks of a monopoly or et cetera, to, like, Euro-y, heavy, beautiful, like, decision space. And so if that's possible, if we can see the hobby grow like this, maybe everything else is possible, too. Oh, man, that's that's really, yeah, that that is a, no, it's, it's, it's very, you're, you're a sunny person. You're a very positive. You're a very positive guy. You know, I would have you. I would. I would want you to be a White House advisor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, because you do. Because you do. Because you're I'm not so much a guy. But yeah, I appreciate all of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, just just in the sense that you're you, you, that uh, you don't sugarcoat it. You don't deny reality, but you do have this belief that that if we. If we roll up our sleeves, if we think about things in in new ways, that we can get through this, and I think that's something we really need to hear right now. Well, I know equally you have a fair bit of that, and um, we're doing this, and I'm so grateful. This is again for me, and I know for others, this is a bright light in our week. So I don't you. know what you're talking about. I bought a survival shelter years ago. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to Idaho next week. I'm done. <laughs> Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about the 2014 release, La Granja. It is about uh, farming in Mallorca. And we're also going to be talking about the deep game. What do we gain from in-depth, repeated plays of games that are worth study? I'm looking forward to talking to you about that. That's going to be exciting. Super. Should we, uh, should we get to game night and, and figure yeah. out what we play? Here we go. Um, I am I'm still deep in the in the woods in terms of my work and uh, and trying to get uh, my, my wife set up to teach online, which is a, a surprising challenge. The number of things for her to she's teaching kindergarten for the she's be going from being just a sub and a part time teacher to a full time teacher, which itself is a you know months and months of prep work, and then on top of that teaching virtually which is which nobody knows how to do it and it's all trial and error so we're 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 trying to get that straight between those two things i have not had a lot of time for gaming we got a couple games to teach you in as a family and i was very happy to play lagranja this week with you but that's been it for me what have you been playing these days well, I, I also have been going through a finals week at my institution at Berkeley, and, uh, and thusly, you, sh- you would imagine I would have less time, but, but actually because um, current fidget uh, and just the kind of feelings uh, and also just the needfulness of games, mm-hmm. I've been on it. Every day I've been getting a few reps in um, with strangers, <laughs> Stranger Danger, uh, on BGA and, and a few other places um, but BGA mostly, and then and then indeed getting just 
these little bright lights of um, some game, uh, mostly the kind of tried and true that's been in the mix, a little bit of La Granja, uh, for sure, but then also Russian Railroads and Teotihuacan. Um, and then I think there was uh, Yokohama came up as, as well recently, that just recently came to BGA. And then the small twist, and this is just outside of kind of typical game night, but incre increasingly, you know, what's possible, I I've become part of a new group that's doing a, kind of a self-built RPG based on AD&D. So very much old school. What was that word you used for old school role playing games? There was something in particular. You OSR, used old school renaissance. Yes. And so this was definitely that. And this is like the one thing I will say that's a really nice twist is that they're really taking on the demi human and kind of monster races with with a very much 2020 light, like very much head on looking at race relations from this kind of virtual space and unpacking parts of it. So I'm really grateful for that twist on the experience because rather than just being hack and slash it's like we're really looking at the kind of the world writ large especially as as kind of conceived in these kind of old school renaissance games which yeah. have these like strict striation of race and like category and intelligence cat you know modifiers and all these things that are like this is weird <laughs> this is <a> little <laughs> and so to be really like sitting in that uncomfortable space and and dealing with it's cool. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a huge debate going on in the in the in the role playing community about exactly that. There are people that are looking at the uh, the the racial descriptors of orcs and so on and so forth, and mm -hmm. saying, "Is this right? Is this you know, or is the is this history written by the victors uh, in a in a role playing game? And what is the and what does that say? And how could we create a more uh, a more nuanced understanding of of races and especially the races that are traditionally denigrated and 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 uh, I, I thought wow what you know there's also a huge reaction against that and and you know why can't orcs just be orcs right <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know it's it's one of those things if you really go back in the histories and you look at the history of eugenics and the stuff it's all conflated and so yeah. Maybe there is some some use to having play just be play, and especially when it can be abstract. You know, chess doesn't have to necessarily be as black and white as it would be conceived of, but it, it really is, right? It can just be these very virtual figures we can play, and it can be very safe space to kind of explore. But then if we're going to really start to give things names and descriptors and, and, and look back at the history that we can really easily source, because a lot of it comes from literature that's still published, mm -hmm. still being kind of propagated... Yeah, it's um, it's been a cool twist on the game night. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. That's really awesome. Um, ben wanted to say that uh, he and Elder and a few other people have been playing a little bit of uh, Forum uh, Trajanum. These, so these so awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, recent That's on Tabletop Simulator, or is that? Um, I'm not sure which one uh, which one it's on, but it is it is more recent Steven Feld, which. Uh, Generally, when we play Stephen Feld, we tend to play the the oldies but goodies, um, but they are loving, loving Forum Chichenum. So uh, there you go. That's another game that is coming out from our. There's game. so much of a wave of oncoming. I mean, maybe this is more games in the brain. Maybe this is more like in the news. But I just can't believe how much these virtual spaces are being populated with great games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the number of games that are in in non public betas and things like that on Board Game Arena is, is staggering. It's just every day I'm hearing about a new one, which is which is awesome. It's just it, it because it needs to happen. It's it's something that. I think they've been, you know, a year ago, that was, 
number 12 on their to-do list, right? And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what? We, we got the bodies. We, we always wanted it. to do this. We always knew that this was something that we probably should do to grow the to grow the hobby. But guess what? Now, now, do or die. Yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. So true. All right. Well, let's let's get right into the news then. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Knopf of South America. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. First bit of news, we got something from Jamie Stegmeyer. Uh, and uh, Jamie, thank you so much. You reached out to the podcast. You had very kind things to say about the podcast. And we just want you to know that, uh, that we, are, we are fans here. We think that uh, you are doing some, a great, great thing. We love that you are an independent publisher, that you've created your own publishing house. We think that that is the future. Get rid of the gatekeepers. Do it yourself and uh, blaze a path for others. We think that is fantastic. Um, going all the way back to Viticulture, we are, we are fans of your games. You know, listen, I, I'll say, Tapestry I didn't love. I, yeah. I, I, had, I had problems with it. It wasn't my cup of tea. I'm very happy to report that tons of people love that game, play that game, play it obsessively, and that's why it's good to note that we have a new expansion for Tapestry that is coming out. Plans and Ploys is coming out. It looks gorgeous. It's going to do a few things. First of all, it has five new monuments, those big buildings that you get and you put on your, on your board. One of my complaints in the original game was that you have these gorgeous, huge pieces that you get to take and put on your player mat. And then they don't do anything, right? All they do is take up space. And I felt that was kind of overproduced for what it was. Well, guess what? These five new ones, they have powers. They do things. They change the state. It's almost like he was listening. Um, that's going to be, you know, I'm sure he's listened to a lot of people that, that were talked about that. Um, there were also a, a problem with the trap cards in the game. People had a problem with that. Guess what? There's, there's a new type of trap card, which might be something that you can counter, which is, which is kind of interesting. Um, new cards, uh, new balance. There's new, um, uh, new, what should we call it? Uh, factions as well. The faction that uh, that uh, that everybody is talking about right now is called which one is the faction? They're the utilitarians. Mm-hmm. The utilitarians look absolutely fascinating. So, listen, if you love tapestry, you're going to get this right. This looks like a good expansion. If you did not of tapestry i don't think that this is probably going to change your mind necessarily but if you were on the fence about tapestry if you were like i kind of like tapestry but i don't love it i would i would seriously look into getting this expansion i think probably there are more people that were that that liked tapestry but didn't love it uh than there were people that just didn't that just flat out didn't like it because there's a lot to like in the game uh if you are one of those people Take a look at plans and ploys because this might be something that really that that really changes the game and, and moves it toward the experience that you were hoping for it to be. Alfred, you you played uh, Tapestry before? Yeah, I got it to the table. Um, I mean, thankfully, I think it was Maddie got it to the table once or twice, and I got a chance to to lay hands. So maybe it was actually you, but either way, I really did enjoy it. These these kind of games like Feast for Odin, some of these games that are taking up space, you're demorphing and having to solve the puzzle. Yeah. 
uh, of your own kind of your own reckoning it is I, I find it to be really soothing actually unlike some of those kind of games where you're you know, you're you're kind of in the shared board space and you're kind of quibbling over things. It, it reminds me a little bit of Feast for Odin, of course, and then like even Pipeline to a different degree, that this kind of self-satisfaction huh. of getting something very correct on oneself, on one's own kind of, rec, you know, space is, I don't know. It's like solve, It's like actually like doing an actual puzzle. I, I just dug it. Yeah, and, it, uh, it, does, I, it does have a puzzle aspect to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and also just the thing too, it's like where, you know, I know where maybe some... I'm just going to say it. I know Dimitri might disagree and think that you need to have this like distinct player interaction for fun to exist. Let's just, we don't have to, we can have disagreements in the podcast. It's beautiful. It's like we have a diverging amount of, of space, but you like somehow you need to have these like kind of face to face moments of directly, um, you know, lying to each other or what? I don't know exactly. But anyways, <laughs> either way, whatever Dimitri was getting at, there's other other sublime experiences that have to do with just the artwork and things fitting perfectly and, and kind of well-solved moments, yeah. the right decisions. I mean, those are beautiful. And those don't have to happen necessarily directly looking in someone else's eyes and and something happening. Understood. I thought yesterday you said you were in total agreement with Dimitri about every point that he possibly had. I thought uh, I threat I threatened to uh, to try to to try to make that argument, but I couldn't I couldn't get there. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to I'm going to reframe what you just said, which, because I think it's a really good point. I think that games uh, to a large extent are bringing order from chaos. I think that there's a lot of that in in games. They are they are mathematical puzzles in which you you are trying to create something from nothing to some degree, and you're trying to bring order and balance to something that is 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 naturally quite uh, uh, disparate and, and messed up. And when you have something like a board, when you have a feast for Odin, when you have all of these, you know, there's just this messy board with all these little things on it, and then you're filling it in, and you're filling it in in ways that make pleasing patterns. Uh, there is, right? There, there's something. It's it. You don't. You don't have to be Marie Kondo to to understand that there is <laughs> well, something deeply satisfying about that. And can I put this in Dimitri terms? I actually, sure. I can do this real quick. <laughs> so in music, for instance, there is often this uh, disagreement or this friction between Apollonian and Dionysian thought. You want the Apollonian, you want order and reason, you want the Dionysus, you want the the chaos and creativity. Mm -hmm. And when those two fuse, that's often when you have the most classical form of harmony. Ah, interesting. Uh, And so much like in game space, you want enough decision room that the chaos is felt, but you can render order from that. Or indeed, from the opposite side, there is too much order and reason and you can find the creative ends, the, the synthesis between the two could be interesting yeah 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 no i i I totally in in writing there's the there's a little bit of that too right it's 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 Mm -hmm. you want that you want that chaotic force there because that's the surprise that's the suspense that's the the i have no idea where this story is going and then bringing it into line and bringing it into form is a deeply satisfying result so yeah and interesting interesting uh let's Let's uh, let's move on to our next bit, which is Wolfgang Varsh. Wolfgang Varsh could not be a hotter designer. He is on the roll of all rolls. Basically, everything he has put out in the last few years has turned to gold. Well, he's got a new version of his uh, uh, So Clever series. He's got Clever Hoch Dry. Um, I don't know what the English version of that will be, but it is it is another one of these uh, uh, multiplayer solitaire, roll the dice, choose where to place it, sort of roll and, uh, roll and write games. 
And uh, every one of those so far, I think there have been two of them. There's uh, Ganshon Clever and Doppelit So Clever. Um, both of them fantastic. So if this is anything like the other two, it's something you should look at. And uh, Quaxa Quedlinburg, uh, they have a, a, another expansion for that. The second expansion is The Alchemists. The first expansion was called The Herb, the Herb Witches. And this one is called The Alchemists. Don't know too much about it, but listen, if you like Quaxa Quedlinburg and it's feeling a little, a little old, maybe check it out, right? Awesome. Uh, next up, we have a game. This is a game. All right. This is a game that looks interesting to me. This is a game that it looks gorgeous and sounds really cool. Gilhova, um, if you know the name Gilhova, it's because he did a game called The Networks a few years ago. And when it came out, everyone was like, oh, this is interesting. You were basically a, a card-based game where you're establishing a network and you're, you're getting shows and it felt a little, um, I would say, a little glory to, uh, glory to Rome. It was good. It's a very interesting design. And he has come up with a game called High Rise, and it is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It is a long board that kind of looks like Manhattan or something along those lines. And it, there are skyscrapers that you are building. The goal is to build the biggest, tallest high rises that you possibly can in the game. Um mm-hmm. It looks it looks pretty involved. It does not in, it does not involve money though. What it involves is corruption. Corruption is the economy. <laughs> is the economy of the maybe future. appropriate? Right? Doesn't that sound great? I love that. Um, you are going to need to get blueprints. You're going to need to maybe con- there's construction to the game. There's all sorts of things to the game. And one of the interesting things is that when you move around the board to get the things that you need it is a one-way only move so you're you're kind of moving in a in a rotation which to me sounds like the mechanism from uh, um francis drake and Mm -hmm. from lignum which is this uh you know that that sort of thing where oh my god it's my turn to go i could go one space and grab this thing that i really want but I could jump ahead five spaces and grab that thing that probably won't be there when it comes back around to me. But if I do that, all the things that I've skipped over, I cannot go back and get again. And, and it's just a, a – I love that design element. I wish that it was in more games. I, I think that it, it creates wonderfully juicy decisions, and it, it, it creates this great situation in which nobody is happy at the end of the round of that <laughs> because because nobody did it did it just right. You're you're always uh, uh, you're always dealing with okay. Well, I was able to do A, but I was not able to do B, C, or D, and, and that's well, fascinating. I mean, it, it speaks to the fact that our number one game is Great Western Trail, which uses that same mechanism or mechanic really well. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, you, you have to make a decision about, like, am I going to try to grind and do everything or am I going to rush the game, a.k.a. Paul? Um, <laughs> I will say, and this is just an aside, but, like, you know, a high-rise uh, idea. I know in movies there is this thing where one movie comes out or is being is being pushed and then seemingly five other films of the same plot mm-hmm. are also coming out at the same time. And, and this game seems like it's differentiating itself in meaningful ways, but what's up with all the high rise games? What's up with building buildings? <laughs> uh, yeah. It, you know, it's, I mean, you can go all the way back to acquire to say that it's always been there. It's been something that's been in our, in our hobby forever, but 
I do think that that big city and the estates and there's a, a lot of games that are coming out right now. Some of which are re-releases, actually, that are really doing the the city building thing. I don't know if it's if it's because we have a uh, urban real estate developer in the White House. Um, I, I think it is it is possible that the reason High Rise doesn't use money but instead uses corruption could have something to do with that. We don't know. We can't speak. To it's that. a gentle amount of the cost. Just just you know, put in <laughs> a, a little bit in terms that you can kind of you can game, but we also can understand the severity of the situation. Maybe, maybe yeah, I like that. Maybe it could be that um, urban planning and uh, city construction is a form of colonialism that doesn't that doesn't press any hot buttons that doesn't uh, offend in the way that certain other things do. I mean, if you look deeply enough, it probably does. But oh no, it, I mean, redlining and all the rest. There's tons there, but we don't have to use the exact structures, right? We can kind of look at it in these more broad terms that can still get to the point without scaring away the jilted. Yes, yes, I love it. Um, I'm. Uh, I was deciding whether or not to announce this next thing because there's so nothing about it. We know almost nothing about this thing, but we have to announce it. We have to announce it. Dune Imperium is going to be coming to us. It is a deck building worker placement game set in the world of Dune. Basically, a Euro card game of Dune. Take my money. Take my money. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about it. I don't. I know. You are you are part of the whisper campaign now. You I, are the whisper campaign. <laughs> I, I can't help it. I can't help it. I you know I wanted to not say anything, and then you know people were like, "Dude, why, why didn't you announce the Dune game?" Why did you? And I'm like, "Because there's nothing to announce. It's just no, it's an amazing IP. We want more in that space. Yeah, but it's sure true. the movie, the new movie's coming, and sure the, like the miniseries from like not too long ago, and obviously the you know the the previous movie and and everything about it it just wants to be spelled out we want to live in that space you know it's it's so much more space opera than star wars ever was no offense to any trekkies or star wars people but careful careful (laughs) (laughs) those those books are incredible irregardless of how they might compare or stack up to others the world that was built in those books you just want to play in that that sandbox i i do I, i have to confess I have gotten myself so worked up and so excited about uh, Denis Villeneuve and, and the cast that I am now going the other way. And I'm just on a daily basis. I am just saying it's unfilmable. It can't be. It can't really be filmed. Look, they're great. They're going to do a fine job, but it's going to be disappointing. And I'm, I'm literally trying to talk myself down because I know that I'm just I'm just I'm putting way too I'm putting every disappointment in 2020 into a little box and it's called the Dune movie and it's going to be my redemption. <laughs> and well, I, now I know where all the excitement's going though, because now all that excess excitement from the idea is now going to this card game. It makes sense. <laughs> a little bit. Um, it, talking about great IP, The Princess Bride. There's an adventure book game that is coming that is coming out. Uh, Ravensburger is going to be putting it out. And alert Maddie, alert Maddie, right? Get you, yeah, get right? you in that sweet spot of your adventure book. Oh my goodness, he's not that far away from being able to play this with his kids either. It's just a few, uh-huh. years, a few years away from that. Um, you're gonna tell it's a six chapter story, and you know, it's you're gonna deal with the shrieking eels, you're gonna deal with the ew kissing, uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna be, you know, dealing with mostly dead. I mean, it, it looks 
awesome. It looks wonderful when you open it. There are uh, six characters, uh, six, uh, no, seven, I'm sorry. There are seven miniatures that you can play with. There are cards, so when you open it up, it is like six different boards that you play these mini games on. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting this. There's no way I'm not getting this. I, I, I can't wait. I hope that they do it justice. Plays in 15 to 90 minutes. And uh, what else can I say? Like, it, I, I hope, hope, hope that they do it justice. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this. No question about it. I mean, they're remaking this movie too, right? Supposedly that's happening. I, 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 yeah, I'm skeptical as to whether or not they actually, they actually will. Um, I, I, yeah. It's, Let's just keep on inflating the old one until we have to reckon with something new. But this sounds really awesome. So <laughs> look, I liked Lynch's Dune. I didn't, but it could certainly be a lot better, right? It, it is interesting. I adored that cast. I really liked. I, I don't know about the, you know the different cuts and the different ways it was rendered, but like, it, goodness. It wasn't a masterpiece. Let's just say that. Sting. I'm Sting alone. Sting. Price of admission. I will kill him. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But but it's not you know. But it's it's not perfect. So somebody coming on and saying, "Let me take a little stab at doing." I'm like, "Yes, do it." Princess Bride could not be. I mean, it's so perfect. It, It 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 really is one of those magical things where everything about it just worked and worked so well that to remake something that was already done so perfectly i i really question whether or not that's that's a that's a good idea i don't want to be a gatekeeper but yeah i I will say that i was never satisfied with fred savage or colombo what's that what's that peter falk how dare you i just i just did maybe just i was young it just didn't it didn't like it seems too acted to me that part i mean it's the only part that's supposed to not be acted it's supposed to be the real part and everything else is fantastical anyways <laughs> small small quibbles i'm i'm yeah. i'm open to this idea all right we're we're no longer friends <laughs> <laughs> if i only had my we what does he have a cigar or something and like a trench like a blonde trench to he, he did something i remember vaguely he did something Columbo, you you heathen, you bastard. <laughs> Columbo, Peter Falk, come on, Cassavetes. He was one of the Cassavetes crew. Oh, he's unbelievable. If you have never seen a movie called Tune In Tomorrow, it is a totally lost gem. Nobody, nobody saw it. It is based on a on a, a famous Brazilian book called Aunt Julia and the Scriptwriter. It is hmm. set in New Orleans in, in, in the radio era. And uh, uh, Peter Falk plays uh, Pedro Carmichael, the world's greatest uh, writer of uh, radio soap operas during that time, who blows into town and upends everything because he writes from real life and he creates drama and conflict and problems with everybody. Keanu Reeves is in this movie. It's 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 an astonishing, astonishing performance by him. One of my favorites of of all time. Check it out. Tune in tomorrow. There you go. Little awesome. little little bonus there. Uh, <laughs> Harry Potter. There's going to be a Harry Potter game. It's going to be. It, it looks to me like a light Euro. It looks to me almost like uh, something Prospero Hall would do. Harry Potter uh, House Cup competition is what it's called. Um, you can play Harry Potter, Cedric Diggory, Draco Malfoy, so on and so forth, and uh, you're you're trying to earn the Cup champion. You know, twenty points for Gryffindor, and so on and so forth. So, if you are a trans exclusionary radical feminist, then by all means, check this game out. Uh, 
it's it's a problem. I can't even talk about Harry Potter anymore. I mean, I think it's just problematic enough that you're actually going to be playing Harry or these other characters in the book. I just think this would be an opportunity to 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 mine some of the less, you know, either make unknown characters that we can all be more we can kind of, uh, you know, archetype on or 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 maybe less known characters. But just to play Harry, it just seems like that book's been written. That ship has sailed. But this is just coming from a knee jerk place. I'm sure it's a great game. Let's no, do it. I hear let's, you. Let's play. Uh, Glenmore 2 has an expansion called Highland Games. It's going to add three new chronicles, and it's going to add an uh, Automas, uh, Automa solo mode. Uh, if you guys know Automa, they, may, they are the gold standard of solo modes. Glenmore 2 is a great game. It really is a lot of fun. We reviewed it um, earlier this year, and it, it is solid. I didn't think the chronicles were unbelievable, I didn't think they changed the game, you know, as much as they should. Maybe the new Chronicles will. I don't know. But if you like the game and now you're in isolation, hey, get this because play, being able to play Glenmore in in solo mode sounds really fantastic. It's a it's a really good design. I really really like it. Uh, on Kickstarter right now, and uh, I think we got one more. Yeah, this one's just for you, Alfred. Alfred, do you remember? <laughs> Do you remember, uh, you know, before the event? It, it, we almost have to talk about it in those terms. Alfred, do you remember when we weren't eating out of cans? And uh, <laughs> and no, and, no, and, quite frankly, but I, I and, believe I've heard tell and scrounging for firewood. Um, back before that time, when when we could go out into the air, uh, you and I did an episode where we did role playing games. We talked about role playing games. Yeah, we talked. That was the, one, the longest episode I think ever. I think we did that. I think we <laughs> we broke we broke the podcast. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you brought up in that episode. I believe it was in that episode. You were like, "There was this game, and I don't remember the name of it. And it's like it's kind of it, it's there. You play soldiers, and the but it's sort of like after a war and stuff like that. that yeah, absolutely. And you, I was were, like, you were right on it. You remembered twenty two thousand. Yes, yes, exactly. yes. No, yeah, it's you were right on it. Absolute classic. Guess what? On Kickstarter right now, with nineteen days to go is a new version of Twilight 2000. It's as though they wow. knew you were coming on the podcast this week. It, it is, uh, is going to be a new retro-apocalyptic edition. In the original edition, I think that uh, the, the date of Twilight 2000 was obviously 2000, and uh, there had been a lim- limited uh, nuclear conflagration and so on and so forth. And It was very much like the Reds, right? We were like fighting like the Russians or something. It was like, what was that one classic terrible movie where we're fighting... Koreans, I want to say, like in like Idaho. Goodness, what's that called? You, are you referring to Red Dawn, sir? Maybe I'm referring to Red Dawn. You're referring to Red Dawn. Angels. Wolverines, assemble! <laughs> come on. This is, yeah, come on. See Thomas Howell and Patrick Swayze. and mm-hmm. uh, Oh, come on. Written by John Milius. And, oh, wow. and written and directed, I believe, by John John Milius. Yeah, no, I mean, absolute, absolute classic. They did a remake of it recently as well. Oh. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm missing. But that being said, Twilight 2000 was so good. I can't. I mean, please tell me, did they update the name or they kept it Twilight 2000? They kept there it Twilight still... 2000. Wow, amazing. They kept it Twilight That's... Twilight 2000. Um, I'm looking at this right now. There are maps. There are there are maps that 
change the terrain and stuff like that. So it looks like it'll, it'll have a little bit of miniature skirmish kind of thing to it. Uh, and uh, now we're going to be in an alternate timeline where the Moscow coup of 1991 succeeded. The Soviet mm. Union never collapsed. And so we're going to be sort of retelling that story. Which means we get to do things like like uh, the original Twilight 2000. I think the first expansion was called uh, Pirates of the Vistula, which is you know you're you're, you're battling in Poland basically. You're battling mm-hmm. in in Czechoslovakia, Poland, and, and and those sort of countries. You know behind the Iron Curtain, and you're fighting things out. You get to do that again. Uh, Alfred and I both have tremendous memories of this game. If you're into if you're into tabletop role playing games. It definitely might be something that you should check out, especially you know look look at it and if it's if it floats your boat, back it back it. This this game is a classic. Yeah, we can't speak to what the new one's going to be like, but the original one had such a cost. You mm. really felt the gravitas, and it isn't just the setting. It was like things were scarce and hard, but real, and so it kind of it, it had a weight to it that a lot of role playing games aren't really willing to to check into. Yeah, you were scavenging for 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 everything, and like it it felt like every you know that you could have all the guns in the world, but where's the ammo? How are you gonna How are you gonna? Or have where's it? the food? Where's the can yes. opener? Yes. You know? <laughs> yes, and then you know the 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 locals who you are you you are not supposed to get on the bad side of. You may have to raid for for, for your for your essentials and things like that, and the fuel, right? You got mm-hmm. we got a we got a we got a BMP. We got a a, a, uh, a I just remember siphoning. I just remember for the as a young person learning what siphoning gas meant, something I had never experienced previously. But like in the game, there was like a skill that allowed you to unlock this ability to like siphon gas from disused old cars. And just like, okay, like I have to do what now to do this <laughs> thing? And yeah, it was that game really brought it home. <laughs> you never siphoned gas as a kid? Uh, no, no, it, it, it no. What did you no. use? What did you use for your Molotov cocktails? I don't understand. <laughs> you had a different '80s experience than I did. It sounds like a decidedly different '80s experience. Well, you know, when you when you spend a little time at Belfast, you have to you have to take care of the British when they when they come up the door. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're gonna move on to games on the brain and a brand new song from somebody amazing. Alfred, you're 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 a treasure. Thank you so much for that. That's really really awesome. <laughs> it was so much fun to do. I mean, so the original one that that has been storied on the podcast for a period uh, that was conceived uh, at one of Maddie's game nights. I'm I'm fairly certain, and yeah, it, it was one of those things where it was like the podcast was young and we were full of fire, and we just did the thing. Um, and it it was it was very honest and and very just raw and. Uh, but yeah, it's nice to kind of just to build out the production that I would normally love to have done, but life interjects and took a little time, but we're, we're there. And, and so hopefully this is a song that'll also stand the test of time, uh, at least for the next eight, nine rounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's eight awesome. Rounds, we, nine rounds, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. I can't, I, I, when you sent it to me, I listened to it like 20 times in the next day. I just couldn't stop listening <laughs> to it. it. I mean, partially because it's just so well done, but also partially just that I always wanted to know what Robot Trey would sound like, and now I know. (laughs) I mean, 
I, I think just little accents, little just amends, um, amendments, let's say, it's, you know, yeah. it's how modern production. I don't mean to pull back the curtain, but most producers nowadays or most pop stars very uh, added to very like, you know, gussied up. So, yes, produced a little bit of the same tech. Yeah, a little produced. Right. Yeah, I, I, th- I think Trey could use some production. I, I, I agree. And I want to thank you for doing that. What is on your game brain right now? Yeah, so I mean, we're gonna get into it in the in the segment uh, about going deep on games, but I've been I've been just playing so much game, and partially because like the moment we're in, but also um, just trying to uh, understand BGA, like really start to meet people where they're at, starting to become friends with strangers. There mm-hmm. is like a thing, and like you know, I thank goodness the community of of uh, game brain has like started to show up there we haven't really actioned that but i really encourage anyone who's already virtually gaming at least on bga we have now a group that's a game brain group and feel free to join um or just ask to join on either wherever you know you find us and we'll be happy to have you and just kind of find more of these spontaneous collaborative experiences that are possible and then on the flip side much along the lines of jake i i do sometimes play video games um, I've been noticing that there's been so much more tactical turn-based games that are coming back into the fold. There were, you know, there was like XCOM and these other games that were popular for a period of time, and Civ, obviously the monumental um, series that it is. But it kind of gotten quiet, at least on consoles. And there's been a resurgence recently that is is heartening. It makes me feel like maybe some of the lessons learned from board game space have been ported over to the status, like the kinds of ways that people want to experience um, video games. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely one with the Warhammer IP that's coming out very soon that I'm excited about. Some Inquisition, you know, uh, utilization that that series. Anyone who's out there played Warhammer 40K, it's been for a long time. They they there's been this oscillation between like these large scale battles that they were pro- you know like probably just trying to sell miniatures on, and then these more skirmish style. Um, that I always wanted to see more in the video game space. And obviously there's like Space Hulk and some other ones that made it into the video game kind of directly ported. But I think this is an original adaptation of the IP. So I'm excited about that. Interesting. Um, and for me, I, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the I'll go back to the the gamification of, uh, of novel writing in the modern era. Um, so here's the thing. So I'm looking into something called rapid release now, which is interesting. So here's the idea. Um, advertising, right? You want to sell your book. So you're going to advertise on uh, Amazon. You're going to advertise on Facebook. Cost per clips, clicks are a problem, right? Because you have to pay a certain amount of money per click that you want to get. And does a click mean a sale? Does that mean you're going to, to sell a book per click? No, no. You probably need five to ten clicks to to get one sale. So if you're at 50 cents per – is your cost per click on an ad, on an ad which is not uh, – which is a pretty cheap rate right now, that could mean that you're paying $5 for each person to buy your book. And when your book costs less than $5 and you make less – uh, you are losing money on a very reasonable ad spend. So these these folks that have been doing this a while figured out, okay, so here's the trick. The trick is read-through. You need to have multiple books out um, so that 
what you're doing is is you're losing money on the first book, but then they buy your second book and then they buy your third book and you're into profit by the time you get to that third book and then everything after that is, as they say, gravy. Well, this is all lost leader stuff, right? It is, it is, it is. And it, 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 is lost, it is lost leader stuff, but then they figured out this. They figured out that when you put these books out is a huge thing because there is um, organic promotion, which means that you don't have to spend anything to get your book in front of people under certain conditions. Amazon sees a new book out, and it's a new release, and they will promote the new release to some degree. It will show up in people's feeds. It will show up in recommended books. It will, you know, the early sales you get from that book are going to generate that that book in their algorithm being sent to more people more often than it would otherwise, right? And then 30 days in, it drops off a cliff a little bit, and it's it's less. And 60 days, it drops off another cliff, and 90 days, it just disappears. It's no longer new at all. And anything, you know, any amount of promotion you're going to get from that, you have to pay for uh, through through ads. So, so rapid release is the theory that says... If you can release a book a month, <laughs> basically the idea is every 30 days you have another brand new book coming out. You are doing a couple things that are really, really great. One thing is, is that the algorithms keep you in the super fresh category and, you're, and your book is being advertised basically for free to some extent. And you are building up a sort of body of work very, very quickly so that as you start to advertise, you are getting, you're, you're getting that return that you want to get, that you want to get on your books uh, right off the bat. Now, in order to do this, you either have to be in a, in, in a headspace where you can literally release a book you write, edit, get, make the cover, you know, do all the things you need to do to release a book in a month. Now I can do that, but I can't do that end screen right. I can't do I can't do both. I could I could I be a father, no book I, writer. I that's could literally it. write fast. I literally can write fast enough to do that. Uh, but it, it, it would be everything. It would be all of, it would be all that I'm doing. So what they're saying is, is they're saying they're saying maybe, maybe don't release the first book the moment it's ready. Maybe get the first and second or even better first, second and third books kind of ready or at least written, right? They don't have to be edited because you still have that month to do the other things about it. But have a, you know, bank those books and then start releasing them. And the other thing about this, which is interesting, is that um, advertising costs are not equal around the year. That in October, September, October, November, and December, the prices go way, way up because the big, the big guns, right? The uh, you know the J.K. Rowling's of the world, and 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 so on and so forth. All of these, you know, the big, big writers, the Lee Childs of the world, they are at they are being advertised very, very heavily on these sites, and so the cost of advertising goes up and up and up. But in reality. Yes, people are going to buy more physical books in that time, but in terms of uh, of Kindle books and things like that, people want to read year round. So if you if you wait and you start your releases in late December or January or something along those lines, all of a sudden you are getting a good return on your uh, on your money. So anyway, 
that is my that is my game on the brain today is trying to figure out what is the way to 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 skin this cat do you it's literally i i could see a game on this in in a heartbeat am i going to you know i i've i've built up my resources i'm ready to 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 release the book do i release it or do i hold off and wait two more rounds to release it so that i can release three in the same round because the the cost to the to the to the victory points are so much less Right. I mean, I, I love the fact, too, that, you know, a lot of these considerations are irregardless of the quality of the media, <laughs> because we're really looking at it as like a widget. I mean, this is just the facts on the ground. And it's kind of encouraging to know that, you know, because this is very similar to streaming, uh, the streaming argument uh, for Spotify and other services that musicians have to go through as well. Um, the, the unit of information is, is kind of disembodied from its goodness, badness, whatever. And we can just do optimizations that get us on the same playing field no matter what what we're dealing with. And I'm so encouraged that you're, you're going through this. This will be your first novel, right? Yeah. 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 This is great. I just can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that, is that, is that quality is not something that you can really, uh, uh, count on or plan for or anything like that. I Listen, I've been a, a professional writer for 25 years with no day job. I hope that I'm pretty good. I hope that I am. I'm at a point where, where where I can do this, and that is going to you know when uh, I'm reading you know basically I'm reading cases of people that have done it before me. It may be easier for me if I if you have a good book that is catchy, you're going to have a better read through. Like more people are going to read the second book. You know, but gonna... I think this is great though to look at it irregardless of those those yes. details because certainly it will help you that you have this history and that you have this quality. But just to, to kind of really see the thing for what it is rather than to kind of go through those rosy colored glasses of like, well, goodness will be like cream to the top of the milk. It just doesn't work like that necessarily. And it's just it's part of the process. But but very importantly, it's also to really look at the cold, cold facts on the ground, especially because the algorithm oftentimes doesn't consider quality. It you know, it looks yeah. at click views. It looks at other things, other metrics that people um, can manufacture in other ways. So I think that's it's good. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's, it's it's a fascinating little world. So um, the update on the 8x8 challenge is that Dimitri tried to throw a hand grenade into our 8x8 challenge and blow it up. I don't think he's been successful. We still have an 8x8 challenge. We're not going to fall for his sorcerer's ways. We have a, a little bit of work left to do, and we haven't done it this week. So that's fine. We didn't do it. All right? It's, it's- it, goes, it goes to our topic that we're going to talk about. Yes. The deep game requires that you need to... You need to have reps. You need to have games that you feel like are worth the muster, worth the time getting to the table. And that's the 8 by 8 challenge was was made with this in mind. And let's let's keep it going, even if we can't be together in the same room. These are classics that we all should know, we all should be speaking about. And indeed, if we can't speak about them with some authority, what are we doing with the board game podcast? Exactly. Thank you, Alfred. Thank you. Voice of reason. I don't know what the hell Dimitri was talking about. Uh, <laughs> our game this week is La Granja. It is a 2014 release. The designers are Michael Keller and uh, Andreas Odi Odendal. Uh, mm-hmm. It is the artist is Harold Liesky, the famous Harold Liesky, and the publisher. Uh, the publisher right now is Spielworks. Is the uh, they are the ones that are doing the the game at the moment, I believe. Uh, Alfred, tell us about La Granja. La Granja is, like you mentioned earlier, is a Spanish farming simulator um, set in a uh, idyllic Mallorca, right? Spanish Mallorca. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it is a game that is a mixture of mechanics and mechanisms. It, whatever word you want to use, whatever <laughs> word is accepted. Wait, it um, has mechanics it, and mechanisms? Yes, it is. It's all the things. Um, and what I will say is that you are, it's a card-based game. It's a worker placement game. It is a set collection game. It is a uh, turn-based action sphere uh, area control. It is but area more control, than too, else, yeah. It's a donkey-carrying-your-stuff game. <laughs> It is a pick up and deliver, pick up and deliver game. Yes. A pick up and deliver game. But the pick up and deliver is hidden in so many other details. There's asymmetry in this game. Mm -hmm. There's these like amazing kind of um, small jousts that are happening at every moment with who can, who can get enough napping in. We'll go into that in a second to be first, to be well rested and be up on the farm basically early to get the work done. But then there's also this countervailing thing of, well, you don't want to go too fast because that may uh, mess up. Um, you you may put something down too soon. You may get something out into the world, into the fields too soon, uh, into the market too soon, and then therefore uh, miss opportunities. So this this has this like really delicate dance at all times, and yet nothing ever feels like to me that it's, it's off. That nothing ever feels like you you are unavailable uh, to do something meaningful with every move you make. It is that odd game that you get points for taking siesta. It's one of the few games in the world where you are rewarded. You gain victory points from doing nothing, which is a really You've been to Spain. You've been to Spain See? and you know that you you th- take their like 2-hour lunches very seriously. They don't, it is it is a beautiful thing. Yeah, they don't nap anymore though. It's the horrible th- yeah. the horrible truth of it is that they still have this culture, right? Like in in Madrid we, my wife and I went out to eat at, I think, 10 p.m., and they looked at us like we were barbarians. Like, how dare you come to eat at 10 p.m.? Like, <laughs> like at the earliest, 10.30, we could maybe seat you and, and give you the early bird special. But really, civilized people beginning at 11. And they're, they're up late. And then guess what? The shops are still open at 9 a.m., right? They're still, they're, they're still, they are a super sleep deprived people because they have a schedule that is built around a, a siesta time where everything literally does shut down for two hours or, or so, but they don't actually take that time to rest anymore, or at least not in large numbers. Well, this game does a good job of, of, of distilling that down to a, a very like you will benefit so well you will be first you will get points this game is a bit point salad you're finding points all over the board there are two different boards there is a main shared board where much of your um, delivery much of your contract fulfillment much of your area control is all happening and then you have your own board which is as dynamic as I mean, it's beautiful what happens and this is where the cards get placed and your own decision space gets spelled out um, Let, yeah, let's talk. This about, is you know, yeah. Ahead. There's okay. some some analogies to other games that we should get into first because this game very much owes and literally speaks to who it owes owes these kind of credit to very nicely. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, just to clarify my previous statement, uh, yeah. my wife lived in Spain for four years. Uh, she lived in Asturias, which is green Spain up in the north. It is it is rainy and it looks like Middle Earth. So it doesn't. It's not what people think of when they think of Spain. But we go back all the time. We have many, many friends there. We love Spain. We love the Spanish people. Uh, we love the 
the culture and we're, we're completely all in. Um, I have yeah. an Irish passport, so I'm an EU citizen. So, and it, it's possible that when we retire, we may end up there. So it, it's just one of those things that there's a tremendous amount of love there. The cards in this game are quite astonishing. Um, the, the glory to Rome is a game that we bring up a lot here. And the great thing about Carl Chuddock and what he did in that game is he took a single playing card and we've talked about it before. We talked about how dice can only be used in certain ways, right? It, it represents a number or what the or the symbol on the face of it, and it's essentially like a pawn, and it's used in both of those ways. A card can do so many other things because there's so many icons that you can put on a card. There's so many different ways you can use it. In Glory to Rome, a card had writing in the center of the card, and that was the building that it could represent. It had a writing on the right and the left hand side of it, and that is the role that that card could represent if it becomes a patron. At the bottom, it represents a material that you could put into your stockpile, and it could be a material good for building another type of building. It had so many different things, and it had a value at the top of it that is victory points if it's put in your. Uh, in, um, I can't remember what the thing is. Your your vault or your stock or your. Yeah, whatever, whatever that uh, the, the the blue one is, I can't remember. Anyway, <laughs> the card could be used in so many different ways, and so when you have a hand of cards, you're trying to figure out how best to use that. Lagranja took that and exploded it. Literally, mm-hmm. the, the cards can be used in I think five, I think it's still five, four or five different ways. And unlike Glory to Rome, the, the decision space wasn't that extreme because for the most part. You know, this is the building that I'm going to want to build. All of this other stuff, a lot of it's going to be discarded. And not, of it, not a lot of it's going to be used. In La Granja, every single card that you have, is, you have to make a really hard decision as to whether or not I want this to be a field that I'm planting, uh, whether I want this to be stables, whether or not I want this to be a worker, or whether or not I want this to be a wheelbarrow that is going to carry things to the market. It, and it uses some very specific language, but it is where the majority of the decision space is kind of you, you wreck yourself because there is 66 cards and each of them are very asymmetrical in terms of the text that gives you both the extreme flavor of the farm, mm. but also um, where, where you your whole game may operate on a single card that you place in the beginning of the game. You may make a decision that moment that sets you off in every regard of your engine building, of your kind of delivery strategies, like the the way that the game will then be played for you can can happen right then. And and there are nice ways to pivot that. There are up to three different segments to which your your, um, helpers can be placed. And those helpers can be very powerful not maybe not like Marco Polo powerful, but like for certain that they they shape your gameplay and you you will fly or fail depending on this the way you can successfully implement those. And then indeed the field extensions, uh, the farm extensions, or the the what is essentially contracts, the market borrows um, that that take your uh, your your goods that you are producing on these various extensions that you are building to uh, the market or to the craft um, craft market craft stalls. Uh, that's where the points are. That's where the game is. And again, donkeys are the ones that get you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so the idea is that we have a very we have a, a nascent farm that doesn't grow anything, that doesn't make anything, that has a couple pig stalls and one donkey or something like that, and that's about all it has. 
And those first cards you're going to place so the, in the first round, you're going to place two cards at the beginning of the round. Every other round of the game, you're going to place one card from your hand. Your hand sizes starts at four and can go up from there. And uh, if you use a card and you place it on the left side of your board, the left side of all these cards show a field. And it could be a grape field, it could be a wheat field, it could be an olive field. And at every round, that's income. You're a gen- as long as that field is bare at the beginning of a round, it's going to generate one of that thing. Having those things is mandatory because the all the points you're going to get in the game are by taking those things, transporting them via donkey, as Alfred says... <laughs> And and depositing them either in these craft stalls around the central market or making your own stall in the market itself, both of which generate a lot of points. And like a good rules lawyer, I would be amiss if I didn't say you only get three cards at first, which can be expanded through subsequent cards. There you go. And then also you um, – there are some other ways of making points. You can get these uh, – the, the kind of roof tiles – they give you points. There's there's a variety of places to get minor points that can can really make a major difference. Because one thing we didn't mention is that this game is not a huge point grab. You were lucky to get 80 points at the end of this game. Yes. Unlike some other games that we we love, where by the end you were making these ridiculous combos and the the points are super expanding. There's there's elements of that in this game. There is a a fury a, a flurry that happens towards the end uh, with a well planned game, but it's not. It's not the thing that you were so out of bounds or out of out of um, that a few points keyly made by some some either siesta or roof tile can make a huge difference across the whole game. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, the so uh, if you use the card for the left side of it, then you're planting fields, and those fields are going to generate those uh, those resources. Those resources then are going to be needed at various craft stalls. Craft stalls will tell you what they need. If you are going to put it into, if you're going to make your own market stall in the market in the center of the board, you are going to have to have a cart to take things there. The top of each card is a cart, and they will have anywhere from two uh, goods on it up to four goods on it. And the number of goods and the difficulty of those goods will also correlate to the to the number of the stall that you're going to put it in. So two basic goods is going to yield a two-value cart, which is going to allow you to place a, one of your tokens in a two-value stall in the market. Now, that's going to generate you two victory points, but realize that over the course of the game, if somebody puts a stall bigger than yours, like a three or a four or a five value stall next to yours, your piece is going to disappear. It's going to be gobbled up. And they're not only going to get, like if if they put a five stall down, they're going to get five victory points. Plus they get a victory point for every stall of of somebody else's that they knock out by doing that. The area control gets really, that's where one of the major uh, kind of quibbles are happening that's where some of the big friction is going on because here you are you go first you you napped the best you you know you siesta the, the the most effectively and you, you're completing you're completing these market barrows that's the actual term there's a lot of weird terms used in this game that we were going to go into in a second when we talk about some of the cons because there's a lot of specific language yep. so you're taking the market barrow to the market you are you're fulfilling it you're getting something down and there you are you are you maybe fulfilled a three let's say and you did it and the next person goes who did not siesta as effectively you and they just wipe you right away and so at the end of the round you're not going to get those you're not going to get you're going to get the immediate points but you're not going to get the lasting points there's all these little things that upend your strategy because you were effective in going first and that's the price you must pay so true 
then the right side of the card is where you're going to get things like you're going to get extra places for pigs. You start off with the, the ability to hold two pigs. Um, pigs, much like in Agricola, if you have two pigs, they will generate a new pig at the beginning of the at the beginning of the round, but only if you have space for them. So you're going to need to have an extra pig stall installed for that. Also, there are spaces for extra donkeys. Now, these donkeys are for extra deliveries. They're going to cost a coin each, a little silver coin each, which is a, a an economy in the game. There are also other economy things on that side, which will give you extra cards that you will draw each round, extra money that you will earn each round. So the right side of the board is is very much using cards there is increasing your farm's capabilities to a large extent. And now, whereas the left side is yeah. is kind of free to place, the right side has a has a cost, and some of that cost is divvied up between things like victory points or money, which is another resource in the game, or indeed the kind of what your fields are producing. So there's a very specific order to which you are both playing the cards down, but also paying for the various uh, uh, extensions and adornments, um, and everything has to be very carefully balanced, or else you're just not going to get things out. You are not going to produce the thing you need. You are not going to build your engine. Exactly. And then last but not least, the last thing that the card can do is there is text in the bottom center of the card. It's basically down the center of the card. And what you have is you have three slots in the bottom of your board where you can slide the card on up. And when you do that, when you use a card in that way, you've basically hired a worker, and the worker ha- is able to do what the text of the card says. This is what, when Alfred said the game is asymmetric, uh, this is a large part of the asymmetry. When You are basically creating a, a combination of special abilities that your farm and only your farm is able to do. And they, they use the term helpers, and I think that's a very apt term because it, unlike there is a, there's an element of – so again, there's, there's this ever-expanding game. There's this dice element, and those are kind of your workers because the dice that get produced, they have various powers depending on what the number shows and if you are the person to select it. And those kind of come down to your board as being like your selected worker. So you're almost reversed. You're, rather than placing it on the board, you place market barrows onto the board, but you are taking these dice as workers. But the helpers can really change your decision space because they are sometimes affecting what's going on with your engine. They're sometimes affecting what's going on with the board. And sometimes, again, they're very, they can be very swingy. Suddenly you were doing double actions. Sometimes you were making twice the money or twice the pigs or have much more capacity for these things or that thing and it, it's um it you know again having the right card at the right time but you you quickly fill up and there's no way to undo a helper once it's down there's no way to untuck a card that's not part of this game right yes um you can replace a market barrel with another market barrel isn't no. that correct I didn't know that. Yes, I'm pretty sure that you can. So that so cool. there is, uh, but that may be the only the only way. I don't know. The, the rules lawyer is here with me, so I'm always <laughs> remiss to uh, to make a, to make a comment like this. So he goes, "No, sir." I haven't this- seen it. I haven't seen it, but I, you know, there's a lot of times in a game, especially like this, where there are 66 cards, there is tons of variability. It's not just like every card has every single resource that we've mentioned on it. They, there's one specific resource, and it is very possible with the initial cards you are dealt, the initial three cards you are dealt, that you may not have the things you want. You may be totally deficient of the kind of game you want to play, um, and it's just, this is a, you know, this is a criticism, a flaw that we can get into, but you can be presented with a series of or even even cards that just don't synergize period and other people can have like right away perfect harmony just happening 
Yeah, I I firmly believe that that actually playing Lagranja properly, I think it sh- the card should be drafted. I think it would be an interesting innovation. I will say that there is a lots lots of time in this game to 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 pivot. Sure. Yeah. There's lots of time to notice, oh, the person in front of me did the thing I just wanted to do and, you know, get the bonus for, et cetera. There's a lot of going somewhere first and getting a bonus for it. So if you're just a little off, well, it's like maybe I'm going to change the nature of this. I'm going to transmute it into its higher craft form and put that on the craft market. So, or, you know, or whatever these kind of pivots might be. Um, there, there's some space, but I don't think there's that much space. Yeah. <laughs> so I think a little bit of drafting could be really nice. Yeah, I just think you only have three cards to start with. If you keep one and and pass two, and then keep one, it, it also allows you that that wonderful thing in drafting, which is to to put together combinations. It's like, oh wow, this card that I kept really goes with one of these two cards that I that I just got, and that and that yields some possibilities and removes a little bit of the oh somebody just drafted the drew the right three cards as opposed to drafting the cards. I mean, it's just a little more to it. But and so. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to say one more thing is that ahead. when you're fulfilling contracts and even the beginning of the game, you have these crates, and those crates are the flexible outcome. They are the wilds of this. Now, it's worth saying that the cards with all their powers, the crates with all their flexibility, there's no donkeys. The only thing that appears as a donkey is something you have to pay for as money on the right-hand side. There's no freebie donkeys, basically. So sure. this is, again, the crux of the game. It's like this, this interplay of you have so much you're doing, you have so much, but then the actual economy comes down to donkeys. <laughs> uh, so once you have placed your cards and got your farm all set up, the dice are rolled. The dice will be, there'll be two dice for each player plus one die left over at the end. That die is going to be used by everybody. So everyone's going to get three actions, two actions from dice that they chose, and then everybody gets to do the action of the die that's left over at the end. And the dice, all they do is 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 tell you which of the six actions of the game that you can do. One is grab a pig. Two is uh, usually draw or play a card. A lot of times it's going to be play a card. It can also be take one resource. But generally that's... Field a, resource. Yeah, one one field, field resource, resource, which is generally uh, a less good way of doing that particular action. Uh, because the third, because the die number three is take two uh, field resources. Um, die number four is take four coins. Die number five is upgrade two of your resources because guess what? When you have wine, when you have uh, grapes, you can make them into wine. When you have uh, olives, you can or wheat, you can make it into food. When you have uh, pig you can make it into jamon oh the delicious jamon we love it the tastiest thing yeah we just those love it hazelnuts yeah hazelnuts become become gold in the mouth of a pig um exactly and by the way the uh, the high the barrows that have the really high scoring points require a lot of those upgraded items and then last but not least uh number six a six die gets you a donkey action and it is worth mentioning though too that number five die is not only upgrades but it's also extra siestas yes. and again since so much of this is tempo based and so much of this game is like are you doing this action at the right time this kind of critical decision between like well am i am i taking the resources do i need or do i just get a little extra sleep i mean it's not unlike life in some ways <laughs> am i working enough or do i need to get the sleep so that i can i can be refreshed for tomorrow yes 
Yeah, and and that's that's essentially the game. The, the thing is, is that uh, in on BGA they did a really good implementation of it because this is a hard game to implement because you have anytime actions all the time. There are so many things that you can do. You can you you can take on your turn before you take your die. During taking your die, after taking your die, there are so many different times where you can do very significant actions. You can take that crate that you have and you can turn it into a pig and then you can sell that pig for money and then you can use that money to to transform a good into another type of good you know you can improve that that good and then you can use another you can use one of your roof tiles and flip it over in order to deliver that good into a barrow and, and there's so many things you can do outside of the dice actions which is, and it should be stated that you, yeah. you know, you this this game is six rounds. Yep. And during that time, you were going to do just one action, pretty much. Like you have, you have. I mean, you have. It's it's divided up, and you have all these different kinds of actions you're doing. But you have this like one major thing you're doing each round. A certain number of deliveries that that constitutes. But in there, those anytime actions means that your 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 actual decision, like you know, especially towards the latter rounds, can be really monumental because you are indeed doing this like alchemy of well. I make this market barrel into this money, that money can become this, this, and this. And those are the things that I need. I absolutely need to produce those kind of right donkey moves to get things to the right space to happen. You know, it's, it's all very cascading uh, effects that if you don't have just right, it, it all kind of falls apart. So, totally. Um, totally. Yeah. All Tough right, decision so- space. So let, let's. Let, I think we've adequately described the game. What are the, what are the pluses and minuses of it, Alfred? In your in your opinion, what what who is this for? Who is this not for? What do you what do you think? I mean, for a game that is single player solitaire in many ways, you have your board. You're doing your things on your board. I don't necessarily know what's going on on other boards. Um, it is surprisingly engaging with each other. You are that little joust, that little tête-à-tête that's happening around the siesta track. And when when are you going to you know? I critically need a pig off of the uh, roll of a dice. Well, I didn't get the roll, but again, I can do these five other things to get myself a pig. Well, maybe I can suddenly pivot to that. Well, but if I could just get that roll of that pig, I, I don't have to worry about all that other stuff. I can like be more efficient, but I need to make sure I'm there first because there maybe is only gonna be one one rolled hmm. and I just, I need it. So I love this kind of thing of like, you, you are still playing with others, but you also have the elegance of creating your own space that doesn't have to be demorphed by somebody else, doesn't have to be stomped around. Your beautiful farm can be as lovely as you create it, and there's no, like, you know, you know, you don't have to be poked in the eye, so to speak. And then on top of it, nothing's ever kind of blocked. There's always a workaround here, mm-hmm. right? I love yeah. that. I love that kind of thing where, you know, it's worker placement, but without that kind of, I mean, without the punitive nature of, like, this is the one and done. Right. Uh, listen, uh, you said uh, you said a, a really nasty uh, set of phrase there that uh, that that to me is this is a family friendly show. So <laughs> so saying multiplayer solitaire uh, is really it, it's it's a slap in the face to La Granja, and I don't believe it is deserved. I think that there are a lot of games recently that we've been talking about that are, are sort of moving toward multiplayer solitaire. La Granja is not. It is, it, listen, there is, your own board is roughly unchallenged by anybody else, but here are the ways it is not. Um, there is a competition for siestas in order to get turn order. Why is that? Why do you need turn order if it's multiplayer solitaire? You need it because 
the dice are going to be... There is only one six this round. Whoever grabs it is hurting other people that desperately want that. There's also uh, the roof tiles. The roof tiles are a, a valuable thing that we are competing to get. And when you take the roof tile I want, which you did twice yesterday, Alfred, <laughs> twice, and one of one of them... It was the it was a five point play for me that at the end of the game that would wow. have been that would have been a five five point play for me. It's, it's and, often talked about the roof tiles are, are one of the few um, resources that you can really hold on to that are like uh, other things kind of need to constantly flow around. Whereas the roof tiles really have this like their one purpose and they are definitely diminishing across the rounds, which is another unique format of this game. Yep. Is that there's definitely like there are certain actions that are way more valuable in the beginning and certain actions that are way more valuable in the end. Yep. This, the study of the, the game un- like yields this kind of like, oh, I, I see a flow here. I see some prescribed actions that make sense. Yeah. And, and last but not least, the last reason that this is not multiplayer solitaire is the area control battle that happens in the market is not only it's not like just choosing a die and that helps me and hurts you. It is literally... Um, it, it's literally player versus player conflict. It is. It mm-hmm. is. It, it, if Trey is winning, I am going to try and put my piece down in such a way that I am going to knock out two of his pieces. And I could have gotten three pieces knocked out, but I wouldn't be hurting him in particular, right? And and so there is there is actual player conflict that that happens in a very real way in that game and it ramps up over the course of the game so i, I think that's that's I, something to I, I hear you on that but i don't think it's as major as as we 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 played it's it's a handful of points and it certainly can add up but the way things go back and forth and the way it's kind of built in it's kind of more of like a flow you okay. know it's going to be an influx you're going to have some things on you're going to have them off that's why the the larger the higher the number of the contract the less likely you are to be knocked off the board there are certainly uh, tactics and schemes that have you putting on just high number contracts that will never come off. So you, there's ways to defeat that or deflate that that makes it less like constantly something coming on, coming off. You, you it, I think at a higher level, it's less swingy that way. But I could be I could be wrong. All right. Well, you're, 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 it's okay. You're allowed to be wrong. That's fine. <laughs> I often am. Um, I, I think that uh, if you have players that are prone to AP, analysis yeah. paralysis, uh, this game is going to be a tough one. It is. Uh, I found I, I took the longest time yesterday. I, I, I can admit that. I, I found myself uh, a little paralyzed at the end of the game because I was literally exactly one uh, additional action away from being able to do what I wanted to do. And because there are so many different ways to do those additional actions, I literally had to go through four different workflows to come to the conclusion that all roads led to Rome. And Rome, in this case, was you can't do that. Uh, well, can we just call it what it is? They're not just actions, they're donkeys. I swear. Yeah, donkeys. no, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Missing yeah, yeah. one donkey. And that's this game is just donkey city. It's crazy. Sure. But, well, it wasn't just donkeys <laughs> for me because I had all of these crates, which are the mm. which are the resource that you can do anything with. You can get four Except points. For donkeys, for, yeah. you could, <laughs> yes, you could do – well, you can do donkeys because you can use the crate to play a card. And you can play a card on the right side – in order to get a extra donkey action that you can pay for, so you actually, conceivably, conceivably, you, you right. act, it's a long road to get there, but it is doable. So it's it's one of those mm. it's one of those things. So I would say that that the analysis paralysis is an issue in the game. It but 
realize that it's an issue in the game because the game is such a rich decision space. It is and, crazy. And and I'll add to that kind of con that when I played this game before in in IRL, uh, it ticked a lot of my nerves. It it, it it set me off because here I am, the rules lawyer, where I like this neat and tidy space. This game does a very good job of doing that, and it gives you all this richness of decision. But when I'm trying to track other boards, because that's inevitable for me, this is part of my way I enjoy gaming is I'm, I'm socializing, but I'm also watching how the elegance of everyone's clockwork is, mo- is moving. And I see people making, okay, well, I'm going to barter this for that. I'm going to transmute this into this. I'm going to do this to this and this. And if they make a mistake, yes, that, that, that's huge because that's, you know, this game is, is not, is, is this is the cruelty in the game is, is that sometimes you just don't quite have it, but there's so many moves that are happening and things are, are moving around. like the chits are kind of small and there's lots of different, you know, things, even though there's only, there's one thing that represents a lot of different things. So if that gets a little bit pushed around on your board, then maybe it's in the wrong space or, you know, I was, all my alarm bells are going off. And so on uh-huh. BGA, it solves all that. BGA makes it real tidy. It tells you, you can't do that. Hey, you have a helper that you can use. There's no you know, backseas five rounds later because you forgot to use this thing. It's it's kind of in the moment. It's kind of simplified. And the 66 cards have a lot of exceptions, have yes. a lot of places they work and don't work. And again, if you're not tracking it really carefully, if you don't have the errata out and you're like looking deep in the FAQs, you could miss things or misunderstand things. And that's tough. Agreed. Agreed. I think, it, I think when you're playing IRL, I think each player needs to narrate what they're doing as they're doing yeah. it they, because it is one of those things. There are so many additional actions that you're doing, and there's such a complex supply chain. It's really what the game is. It's a, it's a super mm-hmm. complex supply chain where there are all sorts of bottlenecks and there are all sorts of ways around them, but you have to figure out a way to, to navigate them that you literally have to narrate what you're doing so other people can be, can be you know, checking your work to some degree. Uh, Lagranja is, in my opinion, an absolute classic. It is an exceptional game. It plays differently because of the because of the unique card aspect of the game and the and the card design of the game. It plays differently than any other game out there. It is it is quite its own thing. And yet at the same time, I'm still playing a heavy Euro farming game. You know, medium heavy uh, farming game. So it is familiar, and uh, you know. It, I can just take a siesta and relax a little bit in the game. And, and Ben from the podcast, who who's a huge fan of this game we were playing with yesterday, was mentioning he's played, he owns this game, he's played it so many times, and there's still cards that he hasn't seen really get used or exploited. And, and so there's like a re, the replayability that he was hinting at and the kinds that I've been seeing this, these past couple of weeks playing it on BGA – just it seems like it just could be kind of infinite that it isn't like a dominant strategy game where there's just one card that rules all there's just tons and tons and tons of space where maybe sometimes you are disadvantaged but there's probably ways to discover that in if you can just have the insight towards it totally um, totally yeah it is currently ranked 156 on board game geek so it's not exactly a uh, an unknown game by any stretch of the imagination but I, I think it probably should belong uh, uh, in the in the top hundred. I think it really is mm-hmm. that that good a game. If you haven't played La Granja, I recommend you run out and find a way to play it. Uh, it is on Board Game Arena, and the implementation is fantastic. 
it really could even not though be it, it will it will pester you with the amount of times that you will have an anytime action like it'll be like hey now's the time now's the time now's the time just get used to clicking through but also be really wary of clicking too fast there is that thing of like you're, you're kind of your mind's on like a goal you're not thinking about the thing you actually need to do to get there sometimes a click happens a little quick and you, you've lost out on the thing you really needed. You just didn't, you know, remember to do it at that moment. So. Yeah, it, it, we, we've talked on of board game arena in, in the past, and there have been some times when this game is brutal on board game arena because it, you can't undo. And this is the kind of game where you need to undo. In Lagranja, it is constantly telling you, "Hey, do you want to do something here? Hey, do you want to do something here? Hey, here's another opportunity. Do you want to do something here?" It's a little, it's a little annoying on the other side, and that you have to keep clicking, pass, 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 pass. But the game is giving you the implementation is giving you every opportunity to make the kind of really big brain moves that you can make in this game. So, yeah, it's great. Let's get to our member specific segment. Alfred, take me deep. I want to go deep. I want to go on a dive. Um, so this all came out of the fact that I loved game night. I loved physical IRL game night where between you and Maddie, I, my, my head was always spinning with the variety and the audacity of game space. Like every week you would bring out some classic or some new current that had like barely been released or not yet released. And I, I just got a chance to play so much. I, I just feel so spoiled in this way of playing cursory and the surface game, right? Because yeah. every week it was a new one and there was a great teach going on um, from yourself, Maddie or Jen or whomever, Paul and Trey both, everybody doing a great job of elucidating what's happening. You, you know, you kind of slowly build up a lexicon. You kind of understand like this is this kind of game and it'll be this kind of game or that. Kind. And so you get these commonalities, but always the intricacies of these heavier euros means that you're just scratching the surface. So about midway through the game, you're like, oh, I think I understand how this works. And by the end of the game, you're like, maybe. And then you never see. I never saw it again. Often <laughs> yeah. these games come out once and one and done. And um I have to say that video games were always a slightly different experience where, you know, maybe at first I don't have the dexterity or I don't quite understand it, but you, you get those reps. And I, I really like that kind of deep experience of feeling like feeling um, aptitude. <laughs> Let's just put it there. <laughs> just the, scratching the surface of like knowing the game. And, and, and BGA has accomplishment, been that right? Yeah, like, well, it's, it's beyond accomplishment. It's like there, there is a lot of, of, especially for the games that have lasted the test of time, there's reasons for that. Yeah. And, you know, we, we I, for me, I would like it piqued my interest that I'm like, oh, this is, I see something here. I don't quite get it. I don't quite understand it. Um, but there's something here and there's something that, you know, people are really doing, and especially when you're on BGA and you're playing, you see these like just the rankings, these numbers. And so you see someone who's like fifth in the world or fifth on BGA, I should say. And they're playing a different game. They have yeah. these insights. And so I have been ever since the Russian railroads review from however many weeks ago, I have been daily playing at least one game of Russian railroads, sometimes more. <laughs> right. And this it's, it's a perfect, a perfect game for this. Cause it is, you can kind of finish in like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. If you're playing a four player, maybe it's like up to two hours, but right. you can do it really quick as a two player, especially when you're playing against someone good. And, it has been revealing itself to me. And so I want to ask you a question, Tom. What are the games that you feel like you have gotten more than 100 reps in on? Um, uh, let's see. Games that I've gotten more than 100 reps on? 
mm-hmm. you know, listen, um, I listen. I think I'm probably fairly expert on Avalon. I mm-hmm. think uh, uh, Tichu. I, I I would put myself into you know I I could go into a Tichu tournament and feel like I got a really good shot at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably haven't had a hundred plays of diplomacy, but I've probably had a lot more plays of diplomacy than the vast majority of people, and, and probably pretty good there. Twilight Struggle is a game that, for sure, I've gotten more than a more than a hundred plays in on. So, I'm, I'm so I mean, these are some great heavy games that you have depth on, and that depth has not only affected your game there, but elsewhere because you can see how the the kind of vast understanding you're able to bring to a game of deception or a game of perfect placement and where that can kind of help bridge your broader knowledge. And, and so that depth, that, that kind of core nugget of information, not everyone has access to. And I just would love and encourage everyone to, to, to kind of do the work to, to create that possibility for yourself. And oh, so yeah. part of that is, is that to me at least is that there is an inner game and not again, not to, not to take anything away from Dimitri's, um, Dimitri's kind of more nuanced idea of fun, but please, please take away. Say, please take away from it. <laughs> let's just say that you know that there is a game that is that is uh, elegant and um, and kind of perfectly poised, where you don't have you don't make mistakes. You don't feel like you're making mistakes. You don't feel like you're on the verge of mistakes. You feel like everything is happening as it should, mm-hmm. and and that comes from deep depth, right? That comes from the that deep dive. Yeah where there is no longer this kind of just like, oh, am I in the right place at the right time? You're just, you are playing the game as you intended. You have, you were, you were, you were manifesting your, your archetype, you know, and, and sometimes that actually allows you to, it, rather than being like getting lost in the game, it allows you to really enjoy the theme because then you can kind of strip away the kind of worry about you being, um, yeah, you, you, you like a, a turn too late where you're like, oh, I made the wrong turn. I made the wrong move. You start to see the actual balances that are at play. You start to see the kind of deeper, more meaningful choices to be made. And you can really then like, so again, sourcing back to Russian railroads, I've now gotten over 150 games in or something. BGA gives you this great tracking, these great analytics that are kind of constantly flowing. And as long as you're willing to pony up a little bit of cash and I'm starting to see the successful strategies. And this is partially because of the analytics and partially because of my memory. Like it's kind of becoming these reps where these kind of muscle memory of like, I know this move at this time is important. I, I don't have to be nervous about that anymore. I, I've like unlocked that. And I've not only seen other people do it, but I've done it enough myself to know that feeling of when the game is actually clicking together, when the cryptic is starting to spell out the word, so to speak. Right. I, yeah. I mean, it's the tyranny of time is the issue, right? Because so many of these games you can go really, really deep. They, you can play mm-hmm. these games hundreds of times, and then they beca- become a little bit like chess, where yeah. all of a sudden you did this in your first move, and you're, ah, you're doing the Albin counter gambit, and I mm-hmm. will, uh, I will use the Baltic defense to right. And, well, you and, mentioned this with diplomacy before. There's like classic moves based on what country you start in and what move you're going to make and what to expect. Yeah, very much so. In that game, more than more than any, it's your opening moves are, there are only so many. And the one that you do is, oh, wow, you've, you know, we have to explain this to people their first time, but wow, that is a huge uh, anti-Turkey uh, move. And, and the play- player's like, 
I'm nowhere near Turkey. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, the but you, but, but the here, pond, but, the butterfly but effect, because yeah. you did this, so and so has to do this, and the, 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 and then all of a sudden, Turkey benefit, you know, Turkey is 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 in trouble. Uh, yeah, 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 it, it, and. Yeah, it how, starts how to much? sing basically. Yeah. There is, there is, a, and just like with Twilight Struggle, there is, there's some like, for instance, there's some very understood card combinations, things to play early, things to play late, and it totally changes the game to become a little bit tighter sometimes, a little less wild and unrestrained, but it becomes maybe a, a kind of game to which you can start to enjoy it in in a way that the visceralness starts to come out. And again, I think it leaves room for more theme to start to play play a part, and then also. These designers who continually have hits, I feel like sometimes it is easy to get stuck in like the new and the now. Yeah. But there's something about just really uh, understanding why why these people are monuments, why, why they create monuments and are themselves monumental. That comes out of repeat plan. Now, why, why, why? Given given this, mm-hmm. why have you not uh, embraced the depth of Avalon? You have played Avalon with us hundreds of times. Where, where, where did this? It's well, so it's it's twofold, and I think, and and this is one area where Dimitri did have it correct. I don't like lying games. Yeah, it 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 it's a, a literally like a muscle in my face. I don't like using. Um, there's that, but then also, and this is no slight to our game group. I adore all of you, but there there is a certain set in our ways thing. Like I I am always suspicious of you, Tom, because for whatever <laughs> reason you. I have been deceived by you, you know, however many times. And, and this is, it becomes like, that's a game we have a lot of reps on, but in the kind of negative a little bit for me, because I just can't forget the times that you were bad, even though you're, you're pleading with me that you're a good guy and yes. that you know something and that you are Percival, you know, it turns out in the end you were Percival and that, you know, you had to cover for Merlin and you know, like it, it, all these perfect, like you were playing great, but I have a hard time leaving the previous game behind. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's part of deep games, right? Part of deep yeah. games is is being able to do that, being able to recognize patterns. Yes, sort of seeing the game play out, and then so we have this like you know I can tell at turn two of of Avalon, like Dimitri's going to do his math thing and kind of you know regale us with some story, and he's a bad guy, and Paul's going to do something a little bit like out of bounds that he always does, a little out of bounds, and he's a bad guy. And you're going to say something to try to sway whoever the newbie is at the table, and you're a bad guy. So we suddenly have seven bad Avalon players, whereas there should already be five good good people and two baddies. Right. And like, yeah. And so like it it throws the math off for me a little bit. But I will say is that that deep dive we did helped undo some of that. Right. The deep dive that was on the podcast before helped me really see some other fresh thoughts on it and not just kind of, yeah, see your faces lying to me again. <laughs> um, so Trey, I would say, uh, does go deep, right? He, he went deep in, in Agricola for sure. He, he understands that game at a level to which it dissuades the rest of us from playing. Uh, I, I mean, I hear you, but I, and I haven't really had the chance to play with Trey before, but I, I will say that Trey, as a game designer, I think, uh, and I, I don't I don't think we should ever bring up anyone's name, uh, and I don't mean just to be specifically picking on Dimitri, but I, I don't think we ever should say exactly what someone does or does not like, but I, I will say uh, Trey is a game designer and I think has insights into game space that only people at that level like yourself and Maddie and, and Trey who have really devoted a lot of serious thought and time to game can obtain. Yeah. And I, I think indeed like 
you know, those, those things about depth, uh, can help spill out elsewhere. You get deep on one game and I think you have insights elsewhere mm. thusly. And, and, you know, maybe sometimes that's, that's negative in the sense that you can be preoccupied with a mechanism in one game being a mechanic in another, or just using those words too freely. Like I always do. But anyways, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the games don't always relate. And even if they have similar, uh, you know, like similar uses of something like, you know, glory to Rome is very different than Lagraha. Yeah. They play differently. There's different timings, but I do think by knowing that that feel and getting, if we had enough reps in Lagraha, I bet you would be better glory to Rome players. I mean, this maybe just goes, maybe it's just common sense, Yeah. but just the fact that we are so addicted to the new and you know, we need these eight by eights. We need these like reasons to get, a game on the board, not just our wild enthusiasm that we're trying to learn it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that I, I think probably even though I haven't got hundreds of plays in, there are a bunch of splatter games that I've probably played more than most people and really have a, a, a deeper understanding of. Now, that said, if I was to play people that have played it hundreds of times, they would be teaching me brand new things about it. And so I think we're all, you know, it's a spectrum and we're all at a certain place on it. Here's my question for you. what ga- Name me three games right now that you wish you could go a lot deeper on? What would your what would your dream list be for games that you want to go deep on? You know what, take a moment to think about it. I'm gonna start because there are yeah, games please. that, um, Friedrich is a game that I've brought up a lot. We've never reviewed it. We've never reviewed it. It's tough to get to the, to, to the table. It's a four. There is a convention in Germany where all they play is Friedrich. Just that, the, <laughs> the entire convention is for one game. Incredible. D- does that tell you that this is a deep game? Yes, this is a deep game. This is a fascinating game. I would love to get reps on on that game and start to see some of the the different ways that that it uh, it evolves. I think that would be fascinating. I love Agricola. I would love to to get to to Trey's level, and you know, and Trey will probably tell you that you know that there there are levels far beyond what what he can play. That when you know that when he goes to conventions, that there there are people that have a a deeper understanding than he does. But for our group, he had he he's always had a very you know he always knew this card is overpowered and this you know and and this is the combination and he just he he, he had a very very deep understanding of, of that game i mean when your face is on a card right kind of <laughs> it forces you to know a little bit more about what's going on. <laughs> i think yeah. that's i think that's very very fair so the those are those are two of mine i would i would also say that that i would love to um i, I would love to play Demacher to the degree mm-hmm. I, I probably have played it more than almost any non-German person, but, <laughs> but it is one of those games that uh, that the more I play it, the more I realize, oh, there's so much here. There's so much. There's so many different. There are so many opening situations because in the opening of that game, you are selecting from a, a you know from column A and column B. What are your starting advantages and where are you where are you starting? There's so many different. There are so many variations on that that I've never even tried. And what would that mm-hmm. yield? So, what about you? What do, what do, what do you? Yeah, think? I mean, my list is fairly simple because all the games that were my number ones on our top fifty mm. um, were games I don't have enough reps on because they're not implemented lorenzo with the extension especially the expansion especially yep. and the gallerist yeah actually anything that is gallerist or gallerist related like the depth of those games is staggering and the kind of the ways to which i have seen people do well 
I adore the number of different um, kind of strategies that seem to the result in simple, like I, I'm going to start here totally changes your game. And I, you know, I, I, I've been so lucky that we, we like that game as a, as a game group. So it comes to the table, but I adore it. And I just, I played it maybe 10 times, you know, not, not near and always spaced out. Like if you ask me right now, point blank, what are the rules? And I'm just, I would, I would kind of falter. And then finally twilight struggle, which is just a little too long and a little too, uh, a little too deep. It's been always intimidating to me, and especially with Imperial um, Struggle, uh, out now. It's like there's there's more to that universe that's being spelled out. That even though I know they're not related, there's just enough there between them that I would wouldn't mind going back to the roots and really knowing why the number one game on BGA is it still, or has it now been uh, supplanted by like Wingspan or something similar? Um, n- number one on BGA. I'm not sure on BGA. Or, or not BGA, uh, BGG, sorry, BGG. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still Gloomhaven. Oh, Gloomhaven, okay. I don't I don't know why I don't count that as a game, but either way, but, uh, <laughs> but Tw- Twilight Struggle is that game. Um, it's, it's way up there, and I, I just I don't feel like I, I've, I've done it, and I don't know if I ever could get enough reps on that. I don't know if I ever could. I mean, L- Lorenzo and and uh, and the Gallerists, sure. I, if they put them on BGA, I'd be playing them all the time, all the time. Right. Um, well, but, here's, that's the problem, yeah. though. The, the problem is, is that the, the the super deep games that you want to get a lot of reps on are hard to play a lot because they're super deep games. And well, and, I will. This is where I, I I noticed a tendency in myself, and I think Trey has pointed this out in me quite often now, especially if you go to the Discord. I I like a speed game. Yeah. I I I you know something about the clock. Even when I used to play chess way back in the day, I thrilled at the kind of the guillotine coming down, the short period of time to which to make a lot of decisions. And this maybe plays into a totally different topic at some other future point. But the fast game, the speed game is super interesting to me. Mm. And so I, I kind of, I you know, like, I'd like to think I make good decisions, but certainly if I take too long, if my AP starts to show up too hard, I, I yeah, it's it changes my game enjoyment. Interesting, interesting. So so that makes me think. Okay, what are the what are the what are the deep games that play fast? I mean, Russian railroads. I, I can I can ace that thing in twelve minutes. Interesting. Like, but I don't I don't think it's necessarily the most quality game. I just like it. But I'm it's kind really of arbitrary way. Like we talked about that in the previous episode. But if 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 indeed if you can think of any or if our listeners can think of any like really meaningful games where there's rich decision space but are short i'd be really curious because i, I would love and especially on bga if those that trifecta can be met i would be super in i don't i don't know if santiago is even online i brought it up mm. a, few, a few times but santiago is a game that does not take very long and yeah. it is it is a brutal bidding spatial puzzle knife fight of a game that that i think could be played at a much higher level than we're that than we're capable of reaching yet because we don't have enough reps but it is an astonishing game i I think it's it's probably the short the the quickest playing uh, of my very top games not counting games like uh teach you and things like that so let's all make a pact um let's make a pact that we will try to get some depth and just be better uh, be all better for it. And then, so when we all meet again in person, be it strangers listening to the pod or indeed our like beloved game group that we, we can just like 
bring it to the table and show up and not regret our decisions like two rounds later and have like a big old redo. I would love to. I don't think I can make that pact at the moment. I mean, the the, <laughs> the problem is is that is that I got to I got to do an ep every week, so that so I'm mm-hmm. sort of in a, in a place where I have to do that. And right now, life is kicking me in the butt a little bit. Yeah, it's, I'm, having, I'm having that's a hard valid. time getting getting any plays in. You know, the the required plays. So I can't do it right this second. But man, I wish I could make that pact. I, I'm dying to get that pact. I think it's a great idea. And and to our listeners, yeah, do that, guys. Go go deep. I think that Alfred's dead on right. There is, you know, and maybe just pick one. Just pick one game yeah. that you say in addition to whatever else you play, you're just going to make a point to to go on BGA or whatever and and pick a game. Russian Railroads is a really good choice because it does there's there's a lot to it for a game that play that can play so quickly yeah. and just get start getting those reps and see what that experience is of knowing a game so intimately that each move you can see the permutations coming out from it it's a pretty amazing thing right yeah, yeah. alfred thank you so much that's really awesome i love, absolutely thank love it um, thank you yeah let's let's do one sommelier before we go because mm-hmm. there's a sommelier that's particular for you and me Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abou. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far as my 50th player of Agricola. A million games, show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. <laughs> you, haven't, uh, you haven't remixed my... my uh... <laughs> Contribution. You know, if you if you're open to the open to the thing, I definitely have a trap beat that we can just lay right on there and just like spice it up just Dude, immediately. 100%. 100%. <laughs> Uh, this is from Tyler Boom on the ones and twos. A little throwback to uh, get up on this. The message is, what up, Game Brain Gang? Are there any RPGs that are ideal for playing over video call for these socially distant times? Are there any games that require minimal explanation and can be played in one session would be worth bonus points? My intention is to introduce friends and family not used to role-playing games to the hobby. Thanks for all the informative, friendly, and entertaining podcasts uh guys uh, tyler thank you so much for the uh, uh, for the shout out and thanks for the question this is this is interesting role-playing games that you can introduce newer people to what do you what are you thinking alfred yeah i mean i, I think there's a number of, of modern variants that are well suited absolutely well suited to this there are also some really nice online implementation of some of our classic games. You know, there, you'll find portals to D&D and some other things. But if you're looking for that sweet spot of, of now, of prescient, of doable in one session, I think there's a classic that is underutilized. And I know you know what I'm talking about, Tom, yep. is Paranoia. Paranoia, yes. because it suits this suits our society. It suits the kind of humor that plays. It also it suits really well Zoom. Like there's things you could do or like whatever platform you're using for online distance uh, communication. It, it already has like a kind of like an ill communicated, a kind of a, a, a haphazardness, a kind of a wry humor uh, that if you wanted to embrace either as a as like a, as the platform, as the system, I'm sure it'd be easily implemented or you indeed could uh, just take pick and choose parts of it and and find the experience you you want to bring but it's it's so suitable for one session it's so suitable for like 
for for one-offs that could sprawl into more or just be left there. Love it. Love it. Um, I'm going to go with the indie route because, yeah, Paranoia was, was you know, yeah, I'm crossing it off my list literally was one of the things I was going to talk about. Um uh, <laughs> The 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 adventures for Paranoia are so well written. Like uh, there are famous science fiction writers that wrote some of those some of those uh, things, and they've won awards. They're they're amazing. So if you wanted to be able to just open up and and get going, you can even get rid. Of, you can even ignore half of the rules that actually yeah. are in the game. It, it's it's sort of more about the experience. It's sort of a uh, Three Stooges meets 1984. It's really, it, it's really so much fun. Um, I'm going to give a more modern game. There's a lot of modern indie games that really are rules light and are stripped down. Um, one of them I'm going to recommend is something called 316 Carnage Amongst the Stars. Um, the idea of this game is you are playing Starship Troopers. The idea of this Uh-oh. game, it, it, it really is. It is, the, the system could not be simpler, okay? You have a 10-sided die, and you roll it against your skill value. If your roll is lower, you succeed. If it's not, you don't. That's it. <laughs> your character sheet has two skills, FA and NFA. That's fighting ability and non-fighting ability. That's it. That's all you have, <laughs> okay? But... The, the design of the game is to sort of create a little mini sort of bug hunt that you're, you're, we're mm-hmm. dropping down to the planet and there are the tokens out and they create a very simple but elegant little sort of scenario and things like that. The gameplay playing this game, if you do it right, is so funny and so fun mm. because you're on video call with your family and your friends and you're like what did you say to me maggot sir no <laughs> sir you know it just just i've found that non-gamers get into this particular thing because they've seen it they know what it is they know they understand the idea of it and to get people amped up into a space marine sort of situation and to be able to role play that it's something super easy to role play. Like you don't need to know what a dark elf is. You don't need to know what you know. You don't need to know this or or that or the other thing. Throw you right in. Have a blast. Three sixteen carnage among the stars. One of the one of the simpler uh, systems that I've that I've ever seen. So it sounds like so stripped down. Two two one die two stats. That's it. Right, <laughs> right. Isn't there something beautiful about that? And yeah. and and let's also say that um, that uh, fiasco. Is another game that I'll, that I'll mention. I mentioned a lot. It is more of a you know sort of a shared storytelling game in which you're not even rolling dice particularly for for uh, uh, purposes. You're sort of creating a Coen Brothers esque story amongst each other. Jason Morningstar did the design on that one, and uh, I, I highly recommend you check that out. It's really really cool. One last one I'll just throw out, which is it's not even a role playing game strictly. It's more of it's somewhere in between a role-playing game and a um, interactive writing exercise. Mm-hmm. There's a game called De Profundis, and the idea is this: is that in Call of Cthulhu, 
which is a great another great game and actually fairly rules light you might be able to play a nice little horror game that way um call of cthulhu is based on the writings of hp lovecraft and the writings of hp lovecraft always go this way there is some <laughs> there is some <laughs> alfred is uh, reacting negatively because the man was a uh, oh uh, he just brought racism to uh, just just he is the foie gras of racism, just so rich and 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 full. But well, some people are just of their times, and some people go a little bit further. Yes. And let's say HP went went to the hole and dunked on that thing. Correct, correct. That said, uh, a lot of people that are are playing Call of Cthulhu these days are well aware of that, and they're kind of they're kind of rewriting his legacy uh, in a very different way, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, in his stories, it's always an academic or, or somebody who's out exploring so and such a place. They find this weird tome, they find this weird th- place, and all that sort of stuff. They go in and they're writing letters back home about my, my dearest, uh, you know, my, my dearest colleagues at the society. I've discovered something quite amazing, and right, and and you read that up. De Profundis basically said, "What if that's the game? Mm. What if the game is you write a letter or an email?" to a friend or a group of friends where you have found this amazing discovery and and you hope that somebody looks into this or looks into that and then the next person writes a letter and shares it with the shares it with the group and together you just without anybody telling you what to do without any gm you start telling a story together by sharing these these letters of different people uncovering a conspiracy right i i anyway that's wonderful. I think anytime you can get outside of just the prescribed space of what role playing used to be, it's genius. I will say for like a one sit down scenario, obviously this may be not the game, but yeah. might as well like rethink what the spacing is. If you're looking for just doing one offs or just like running a module, there's certainly lots of examples of that. And in, in, tr- in traditional implementation or otherwise, or even if you want to do something a lot more like gamified, there's there's always the Avalons or that game that you reviewed with Jesse some spell ago. There's these like a little bit more detective, um, yeah, yeah, detective. And then there was the one about there was like a horror themed one of like different people in a town. Oh gosh, why am I blanking on the name? Oh, Mansions um, of Madness. Yeah, yeah. There's just there's, there's some of these other some of these other spaces to which, but I, I love this idea that you can really hone in on just like the storytelling roots of role playing and that like just make that the game. It's beautiful. It is. It is wonderful. Alfred, thank you so much. Uh, you are you are tremendously missed. We are so happy that you are you're you're crushing it in in Boston and that you're having a good time there and I mean, is it true you haven't been jumped into any gang? Not, not even. Not, <laughs> you are still unaffiliated when you're in. I think it's it's nice that the COVID thing has made it so that yeah, I can't be part of the Jets or um, the Snakes or the yeah. No, it's it's weird here. Boston is weird. Um, there is some gaming to be had. There is some uh, some the friendly local gaming store, local friendly game repositories. There's there's a few of that here. I don't know how they're doing with the current COVID situation. So right. crossing fingers that when everything. When we all come up for air, uh, literally and figuratively, there will be many opportunities to to get more ensconced in the scene. Um, but gotcha. now, now the, yeah. gaming pl- the gaming place you prefer to play at does it still have the no Irish sign outside? I think they only have only Irish. Actually, is what <laughs> <laughs> many of the stores seem to have here, at least in that neighborhood. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah this the city, man, the city. Oh man! But yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be able to to jump back in and. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to um, all ahead and all the news. There's so much good. Yeah. On the horizon. 
I, indeed, indeed. And and speaking of good news, um, I, I heard the other day that there's a darn good chance that uh, there used to be this guy who would host this show. Uh, there's a good chance that uh, he might be coming back, and we might be uh, be trading off weeks and. Uh, I could not be happier about that. So we, 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 will, we will see, but it's looking like that is going to be in the offing, and no one could be happier than me. Super excited for Matty. You only can solo mode so long. You only can right? solo mode so long. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We have a YouTube channel. It is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group that is getting more active by the day, a Discord channel that is always hot and heavy with lots of stuff going on. Please get in Board Game Sommelier questions. Contact at GameBrainPod.com is where to, uh, to send those. And you have been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to you, Daedalus, for our incredible music. Alfred, more on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. And you can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games. Bye.